You're listening to I Am Diabetes, a podcast for anyone affected by the autoimmune condition known as type 1 diabetes. My name is Brian Galliardi, and I've been living with type 1 diabetes for the past 17 years. While it's true that there's never been a better time to be diagnosed, that does not make living with the disease any less lonely. I Am Diabetes is about community. Together, we'll talk openly about the unique highs and lows that accompany living with this disease. So for the next few minutes, please silence your insulin pumps, put down your test kits, and grab your favorite beverage of choice. This is I Am Diabetes, and always remember, you are not alone. We are all in this together. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Studio 225 at the Art Explosion Building in San Francisco, California. My name is Brian Galliardi, and I am your host for the I Am Diabetes podcast. This is episode number one, and I'm super excited to kick this off. In this episode, I'll give you some background about who I am, what my relationship is with diabetes, and why I decided to start this podcast to begin with. In upcoming episodes, I'll bring on various guests in the diabetes community those living with diabetes, those taking care of people with diabetes, those working in the diabetes industry, and hopefully even some of you. So without further ado, here's episode number one. I hope you enjoy. Is this thing recording? Well... This is my first podcast episode, and I'm sitting by myself trying to figure out what it is that I want to say. It's interesting times that we're living in right now with COVID-19, all of the protesting going on with police brutality and unequal rights, and I think this is a, a perfect time for us all to come together to be vulnerable with one another and to feel okay talking about things that might make us feel uncomfortable. I don't typically like to talk about myself, but as this is episode number one and you all don't know necessarily who I am, let me give you a little background and let me try to be vulnerable with you all. Hopefully it's useful or at a minimum entertaining. Before I get into my history with diabetes, I guess it probably makes sense to start off with why I'm starting this podcast to begin with. And obviously it has everything to do with the fact that I am type 1 diabetic. But if there's a theme for this episode, I want to touch upon diabetes and loneliness because the thing that I've felt the most in the 17 years that I've had this disease is just a deep sense of loneliness. I don't know about any of you, but it's this very strange disease. It's something that, you know, I deal with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But no matter how many people are there to support me, I'm the only one that's living with it, that's thinking about it, that's counting my carbs, that's figuring out why my blood sugar is spiking or dropping. And so at the end of the day, the only person that can be responsible for managing this disease is, is myself. And not getting to have any sort of break with that leads to a lot of anxiety, a lot of 
depression and in general, just a lot of feeling so alone in managing this disease. And that's not to say that I'm not super fortunate or happy, but I think it's something that's not often talked about with diabetes, which is there's very few conditions where there's a medication that can keep us alive. Thank God for insulin. And, you know, with technology, CGMs and insulin pumps and all of those things, we're well equipped to be able to manage this disease. But never in the time that I've had diabetes has anyone ever really told me that it's okay to feel lonely and it's okay to to not feel like that this is fair. And so I wanted to start this podcast so on days where I where I feel alone or I feel lonely, I have a platform to be able to to speak about my feelings about this disease and and how I'm coping with it. More importantly or equally important is that I don't think there's a lot of opportunity for for people with diabetes to kind of come together and to be able to talk about oneself and and how how we're all coping with it. And and hopefully in getting these individual stories from from anyone that's open to to coming on and being vulnerable and, and talking about it. Hopefully um that builds a, a community of trust and and we're all able to to feel like we're not alone, that we really are in this together. So, who am I? My name is Brian. I'm 31 years old. I currently live with my fiance Lauren and our dog Oliver. Oliver, say hi. In San Francisco, California. I grew up in a small suburb outside of Sacramento, and I'm the middle child in a family of three boys. Even though I have this support system, it seems like the more people that get involved, the lonelier I feel. And I, I don't really know why that is, but I think, you know, it, it probably starts all with how I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed with diabetes when I had just turned 14 years old. It was March of 2003, and I was just about to graduate from the eighth grade. I was a normal adolescent kid. I was obsessed with baseball. I played quarterback in football. And I liked making movies in my spare time, jumping off rocks into the river and all sorts of fun things that you do when you're young and got time on your hands. And this is my mom talking about me. Well, before you were diagnosed, you know, you were all about sports and being active and just perfection, really. I mean, you were, you wanted the right shoes, you wanted the right clothes. If you were writing a paper, you were going to do it right. You wanted everything to be done the best it could be. And it was a really interesting time for me because I, I chose to leave my group of friends, the community that I grew up in, and, and I decided to go to a private high school where I could honestly play sports and, and really try to build out a new way of life. And it was that spring before I started high school that I was diagnosed. And as many of you know, it's never expected, but it kind of went like this. 
Strangely enough, my parents were actually out of the country on vacation. They were on a cruise with some family friends celebrating a wedding anniversary or something like that. And what essentially happened was I was peeing a lot. I had lost a ton of weight. I was drinking a lot of water and I was falling asleep in class and just sort of those those standard things that you always hear about when someone's talking about the signs of being diagnosed with diabetes, specifically type 1. While it was unfortunate that my parents were out of town, I was actually super lucky in that at the time, my two brothers and I, I'm the middle, we were staying at our house with a family friend, but my mom's good friend who is actually a neighbor just up the street from where we grew up, she's a nurse. And so every day after school, we'd go up there and hang out, eat snacks, and just kind of play. And that's I think one of the most fortunate things that ever happened was while my parents were were out of the country that I had a second mom who was a nurse and who started to pick up signs of of what was going on. And so one day, March 7th, I believe, 2003, my second mom, Jamie. Sorry, we're not on a video right now, are we? No, I don't know how podcasts work. Was noticing that I had lost a lot of weight, that I was drinking a ton of water. I was going to the restroom. And I noticed because you and Jordan were always together, but I always noticed you were never there and you were always in the bathroom. And I'm like, gosh, does he like at that age where he plays with himself all the time? Or, <laughs> or, or what's going on here? Jokes aside, she had a feeling of what was going on. And so she actually brought in my younger brother's friend's dad, who had type 1 diabetes, and brought him over so that we could use his test kit to check my blood sugar. And when he came over, we checked my blood sugar and it was too high to even be read. I don't know what blood glucose meters go up to, but I think it's maybe even up to a thousand. And his machine couldn't even read what my blood sugar was. So Jamie grabbed me in her car, left you know my, my brothers and, and her kids with um, the family friend and uh, brought me into the hospital, the ER. And it was there that I was informed that not only was I type 1 diabetic, but that I needed to, to stay in the hospital because I was very close to going into a coma. I don't know if you remember this, because you, you were pretty sick. We were in the emergency room, and they just, like, some guy came in that, like, had thought off his arm, and you were just like, oh, no, I really feel sick. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And I'm like getting antsy. And I'm like, look, I said, will you at least take this kid's blood sugar? I said, this, you know, I, I'll go out in the, the parking lot and call 911 if I need, but, you know, I'm pretty sure he's in DKA. So finally, after a while, they came out and they took it. And sure enough, you got thrown on a gurney so fast. Your electrolytes were going all over the place. And I had to like track down nurses to say, what's his potassium level? And turn down this rate, give him more fluid. I, I was being really bossy, bossy nurse. So I'm like, sure, who's the uh, endocrinologist for pediatrics now? And they're, they're like, oh, he, we don't have one anymore. I'm like, oh, and then we're not staying. Meanwhile, your mom and dad are in a cruise boat in the middle of the Caribbean. So with my parents out of the country, I was brought to UC Davis Medical Center where they have a truly an incredible juvenile diabetes center. And so I, I was there for, I don't know, five days or so learning about the disease, learning about how to manage it, and all the while pretty much waiting for my parents to get home. At the time, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was glad that there were doctors that were looking at me. But in the hospital, 
Jamie was there with me almost every day, as well as a family friend who happened to also be my fifth grade teacher, Anne. So Anne and Jamie would, one of them would always be at the hospital with me while my parents were frantically trying to get home. So what happened was that next morning, well, we couldn't, we go to the purser's office and nobody's, you know, they don't, they're like, you have to come back in the morning. And we're like, we have to get off this ship. But then we talked to Jamie and Jamie said, um, I don't want you to worry. He's in the best place. She went and got you a sandwich across the street. You know, she was making sure you're going to eat good food. She said, I don't want you to worry. And Harry and I are taking turns. We're not going to leave him alone till you get home. See, I could start crying. (laughs) Unfortunately, my parents were on a cruise ship. So being able to get off the cruise ship on a Caribbean island that had flights that could get them back to mainland United States and then back to Sacramento was really difficult. We were in St. Thomas and they were not really very helpful. And they said, we have, you have to wait a day till we get to a port that has an airplane that you can fly out of. And in the meantime, our whole mindset is like, oh my God, how can we not be there? And on the other hand, it was like, boy, if your child's going to get sick, he's got the best people. So that next day when we couldn't get out, I have to go back and look at the schedule, but we had to get ourselves off the ship. We took a cab to the airport, which the pilot also was the ticket taker. He fueled up the plane and he was the pilot. And and it was hotter than snot. So we found a tree or kind of an area. I think I was even, I think we were sitting in our swimsuits because it was that hot. Until the plane came, we get ready to go. They tell us we have to pay like $700 extra to leave the country. And we were just like, so relieved that we were able to have the cash or, you know, like, what if we can't go? So then we flew from there to San Juan and had to spend the night before we could get the flight the next day. And then the next day we flew directly home. It was at this time that subconsciously my feelings of loneliness and diabetes really started because as fortunate as I was, and I will forever have one of the closest bonds with my, you know, my best friend's mom, Jamie, because she single-handedly helped save my life. I didn't save you. Someday you would have not woken up and they would have called 911. Not only did she do that, but she spent the night at the hospital. She brought me food. She (laughs) lectured the nurses as a nurse herself. And Yeah, she was my biggest supporter while I was waiting for my parents. (laughs) I didn't realize how thin you were. And I think we were going into the summertime. It would have been obvious. The dietitian came in and she was very like, like very smart, very bright. But she was talking like so above your head. And and she was like, and this is what you have to do. And like she was doing it really fast. And this is what you have to do. And then I said, okay, so just back up. I said, he's 14. Let's give it to him in a 14-year-old. Like he likes to go to Jamba Juice. What can he have at Jamba Juice? And she's like, oh, Jamba Juice? Oh, no. Because, well, I suppose if you wanted to, we could have like a half a drink. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But we're going to we're gonna kind of fig- try to figure that out. Do you remember that? And so they brought, kept bringing you in these menus. And I'm like, where is the, where is the eggs and bacon? I'm like, you cannot have this kid eat this food. It was just like awful. awful. So I asked them if we could go down to the, down to the cafeteria. So there you went your little jammies to the cafeteria and, and 
we went down the line and I'm like, what do you want? You can have anything you want. You had eggs and bacon. Then we sat out and we took a log. I think we took a log or maybe just told her, you know, this is what he had. He didn't have, you know, really any carbohydrates, but this is, this is what this boy eats on the daily basis. So we have to make this real. And I mean, they, she kind of figured that out. But even with that, I felt like, wow, this is something that I'm going to have to learn how to do on my own, which is worth mentioning because, you know, I, I don't know what it's like these days. And um, for those of you that are recently diagnosed, I'd love for you to message me or email me or come on the show. But when I was diagnosed, the sort of general vibe was, there's no better time to be diagnosed. You're so lucky, which is absolutely true. And at the same time, it does no good for you to think about how life was before because you've got to move forward with your life. It was like, you're supposed to put on your big boy pants and keep, keep on marching forward. And as an athlete and as a just a human being who always wanted to have complete control over my life, I really took that to heart. But I think one of the, the things that's missing in that is that there needs to be the time and opportunity to really vent and, and grieve for the life that you once had. You know, ideally, maybe speak to a professional, a therapist or something, so that you know that while it's absolutely true that there's no better time to be diagnosed with diabetes, that there is no going back to your life that you had pre-diagnosis. At the same time, you need to be able to feel heard and you need to be able to feel like you can express yourself and express your pain and anguish and disappointment and worry and, and all of those things. And, you know, I don't want to blame anyone for this, but in looking back at, at sort of that experience, that's something that I really missed is I was so set on trying to move forward with my life that it wasn't for 15 or so years later until I really felt comfortable opening up about this disease and how I felt about it. Because for so long, I just tried to lead my life in a way that made it seem like it wasn't affecting my life. And it was, it absolutely was, uh, it changed my life forever. And I was no longer the same person. I believe I'm a better person because of it. I'm arguably even a more healthy person because of being diagnosed, but I am absolutely a different person because I was diagnosed with diabetes. And I think for so long, I tried to pretend like that wasn't the case. I think that bottling that up at some point leads to two other issues that um, could be avoided. If I was just given the opportunity or I sought out the opportunity to be able to talk with someone. I mean, I think you're spot on though. But I, again, I don't, I don't, did you know any kid that you went to high school with or, or junior high with that ever went to a counselor? Me neither. I just think times have changed and now we have a lot more access and it's a lot more value. So yeah, I think you're spot on as counselors, support groups, you know, I think peers that, that have gone through it, find a mentor. But I also think that, you know, just as when you, when you lose something, like when someone dies or when you lose, like you have a disease, you go through the natural grieving process. And I feel like you kind of have to go through that. Like one of the first ones, anger and denial. And I think that that is true, not only for diabetes, but for all diseases. But I think until you can go through that, that, that grieving process of, I'm not like a normal teenager. And the unfortunate part for you, and I think statistically, this is probably true. I mean, 
I don't know that, literally thinking that, that, that individuals who get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when they're adolescents probably have the rockiest course. Because if you're younger, if you're, I mean, this is just my hypothesis. If you're younger, you have Mother Hubbard looking over you and making sure you're eating everything and checking your blood sugars four times a day. But, you know, for a teenager to get it, first of all, like, there's that I'm invincible. Then there's that I'm totally in denial. And then there's like, you guys like French fries and milkshakes. And, and then you get a little bit older than you like beer and that's all carbohydrates. So it's kind of like, and you always want to like, I mean, I think it would take a long time to own your disease. I don't, I don't think like that. That's how I kind of felt like, okay, let's just let him absorb a little bit. And I kind of feel the same with your parents as far as, you know, no one wants any of their children to have anything wrong with them, whether it be cancer or, you know, broken leg or diabetes. And y'all have to go through that at, at different times. And I think at your age, it's a tough time for a, for a parent to get that diagnosis because they can't, like, your mom could not mother Hubbard you at that point, you know? And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why you own your disease sooner than maybe anyone else in your family, because you knew this, like, you had a lot of responsibility out the door if you wanted to do the things you, you want to do, baseball, you know, school trips and stuff like that. As this relates to loneliness, from the beginning, I was diagnosed and I, to a certain extent, needed to, to get things figured out by myself. You know, I had a team of doctors, I had family friends that were there and my brothers. But at the end of the day, not having my parents there and having to take responsibility for what was going on at, you know, 13, 14 years old and knowing that this was something that was never going to go away, I think has had a, a pretty dramatic effect on me as a person and also sort of how I view the, the disease. And at the time, the thing that the doctors continued to tell me and the thing that I continued to tell myself was that diabetes didn't have to define me, that I could have a regular life and that I was very fortunate to be diagnosed at the time that I was. I think the, the scary part was that to a certain extent, I wouldn't be able to ever live my life without having some reliance on other people was really hard. I, I really struggled with that because I had always thought of myself as fairly independent. I pushed myself hard in sports. I was a good student. I, you know, was healthy. And why did I have to get diagnosed with this? To our knowledge, no one on the Flynn or the Galliardi uh, sides of the family were ever diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I think when you got diabetes, you know, now in hindsight, that was you were less than perfect. And so maybe in some ways, you were going to try to make up for that or not acknowledge it and just stay busy in other things. But I felt real alone, both in the hospital as well as afterwards because while my parents tried to get up to date on what was going on it was so the the situation was so crazy they were so overcome with emotions they were tired from their travels and yeah they're not in the healthcare profession and they don't necessarily understand modern science at a at a degree where they could really understand what was going on in the sort of day or two that they had at the hospital my 
biggest memory was, I think you were only in there for like two days. And then they said, you're going to discharge. I'm like, oh, no, 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 you're not. I'm not the parent. This is a family disease. This, this boy does not go home without his mom and dad knowing about this disease. And they're like, well, you know, you, you can't just hold him here. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, he's an adolescent and his parents need to sign him out because I'm not going to. And it was kind of unfortunate because I think what ended up happening was they, your mom and dad got there after traveling for two like awful days and they sent you guys all home. I think that was my recollection that your mom didn't get a lot out of it or your dad. So I kind of had this perspective where I'll just do this myself. Like I, I'd get frustrated trying to talk my parents through what carb counting was and what the ratio was. And so I just shut them out and I, I created a silo for myself where just wanted to own it myself and move forward with my life. And I think that looking back on that, I would definitely approach things much differently now, knowing what I know. And I would treat my parents differently. I would really try to include them more and get them so that they could under, really understand what was going on with me and what I was feeling. I know what you saw, but I'm glad you're asking me what I saw because when this all went down, first of all, no 14-year-old thinks their parents know anything. No 14-year-old, especially boy, wants to really talk to their mommy or daddy. You know, you can handle it on your own. And I, I saw you do that a lot after, after your diagnosis. I don't think you were as much like that before, but I think that you kind of became a little bit more, um, I thought you were being more independent, but maybe really what you were doing was shelling off your parents. I can't imagine any parent being anything other than like hysterically exhausted. I mean, I think, I think it took them like two days to get home. And that was my whole, like, maybe I should have taken you home and not had them seeing you in the hospital. And because I don't think there was any value, hindsight, I don't think there was any value of your parents going in to that sterile environment, you know, and saying, okay, you need to know this, this, and this, this, and now you can go home and don't forget to buy his insulin at the pharmacy. You know, it maybe would have been better if, if we would have done that different. But at the time it was kind of like, I'm not going to be the parent. These parents need to understand. And that's a good question to ask your mom if she would want to have anything different. Because I, at first I thought, I mean, I was, I mean, I was like refusing to take you home. And then after I thought, well, that was really stupid. I didn't take into account that your mom and dad had been traveling for two days. So I, the first thing though, I remember is when we got to the hospital and truthfully, you were not even really wanting us to share in it because it was kind of like, this is my disease. I have to figure it out. If I have a question, I can ask Jamie. She's a nurse. And we were really kind of pushed away. Like, don't try to learn it. In, I remember buying that juvenile book that was really simply explained and stuff. And I said, this is really great. And you said, um, well, I don't need that. You know, I already know. I already know. I already know what I'm supposed to do. And I was thinking, really, I guess I was busy thinking, I don't know if you really knew what you needed to do, but you didn't want to share it with anybody. It was, you were going to do it on your own because you really didn't, part of it was the age that you got it, right? You can't tell a middle school or anything. And the second part was, I think when we suggested like camp or doing anything that had to do with diabetes, you were so resistant, almost angry that it was like, we 
didn't want to make it worse for you. Like, hey, let's just give him time, give him time to get adjusted. And, you know, you know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. I remember fairly soon after being diagnosed and getting out of the hospital, I was at, I was playing in a baseball game or something. And my coaches knew that I was now diabetic, but didn't really know what that meant. My friends knew that I was diabetic, but didn't necessarily know how to help me. And it was a pretty big game. It was close. And I remember I was coming up to bat and my hands were shaking a bit and I kind of almost blacked out. I didn't remember, but I was acting strange and no one really knew what to do. And it it wasn't until the coaches went and grabbed my parents that I quickly realized that my blood sugar was low. And so my parents, you know, helped get me orange juice or something like that. And, you know, I, I was out for the rest of the game, but I just remember being so embarrassed that I wasn't able to take care of myself. And I was used to being the one that wanted to be in pressure situations. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, my strength of being able to distance myself from anything outside of my focus had immediately changed. Diabetes changed what I was having to think about and concentrate on. And, you know, it took me quite a while till I I was able to manage my diabetes and I understood the disease well enough that I could get back to playing sports and functioning socially where I wasn't just wrapped up in my head the entire time. In reflecting back on this, the one thing that I, I think would have been super helpful that I, I don't think I was ever given or offered was to be able to talk to someone about this, a therapist, psychologist or something, because it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I realized that, you know, for me to properly manage this disease, I was going to need to to open up to some people. So it started with a therapist and then my family a bit, my brother who is also type 1 diabetic, and then finally my girlfriend, who's now my fiance. And the more I started talking about it, the more I realized how much this would have helped when I was initially diagnosed, as well as when I was sort of in the formative years of high school and college and and entering the working world. The thing that I think is often forgotten with diabetes is it has a lasting and profound effect on your physical health. But if I look at the last 17 years, the thing that it's affected most is not necessarily my my physical health because I've been able to manage it reasonably well, but it's the mental health portion of it. It's the depression, the anxiety, the loneliness. And I don't know, maybe things have changed nowadays, but I think it would be super helpful if people that were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes had the option to be able to talk to someone on some regular basis as they're processing the diagnosis, as they continue to grow and understand the disease and and, and really understand the, the difficulty of it and how it just completely consumes you. Living with diabetes has changed a lot since the invention of insulin with all of the latest technology. But the thing that remains the same is the burden that all diabetics feel. No matter what, no matter how the technology improves and how it empowers you to better manage 
the disease. At the end of the day, for me, there is still not a moment in my life since I was 14 years old where some aspect of diabetes is not constantly on my mind. And that is exhausting and is something that it's something that I have to be able to talk about. And I think, you know, part of the reasoning for starting this podcast is both for myself to be able to talk about that as well as hopefully to open the door for all of you to be able to feel like there's a community of people that are here to listen. There's nothing that should not be talked about. With that said, hopefully you can relate on some level or provide feedback as to how you're managing that all-consuming feeling. Because at the end of the day, the only people who can truly relate to my experience and how all-consuming it can be and finding the right balance of properly managing the disease and not letting it completely take over one's life are all of you. So I hope that uh, provides a, a bit of background as to what this podcast is all about, why I'm starting it to begin with. And this would be nothing without you guys. So I invite you all to please check out the website at IamDiabetesPodcast.com. Sign up and subscribe. Or if you'd like to be a guest, I, I would love to have you on. No topic is off the table. And I hope this um, gives us all the opportunity to speak with one another, to listen, and to really feel like we're all in this together. So with that said, I just want to thank you all for listening to my story. I want to thank my mom and Jamie for being guests. Well, thank you. I love you too. And for being vulnerable. Okay. Well, you got to go. Proud of you, B. Love you too. And in the meantime, have a great week. Stay safe, be well, and enjoy the hell out of life. I look forward to talking to you next week. 